0: Welcome to the Cloud Native Rejects podcast. In this podcast series, we're gonna be focusing on the iconoclastic inventors behind Cloud Native Revolution. These are the people who think differently, who reject the status quo, and in doing so, dare to risk rejection. In the words of Steve Jobs, while some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. In this episode, we are interviewing Darren Shepard of Rancher now Sousa, and joining me is Mark Coleman from Packet Equinix Metal. Mark, why don't you introduce yourself?
1: Sure. Thanks, Vincent. Yeah, so as you said, my name is Mark Coleman. I'm Director of Developer Relations at what most people would know as Packet, but is now part of Equinix as Equinix Metal.
0: I'm Vincent Batts, uh, working with Ken Folk and their engineering team and many people have seen seen and worked with me in the container community from the bottom to the top at this point so kicking off darren shepherd glad to have you here on the show i'm glad to be here too This will be fun how do you feel about susa closing yesterday
2: uh pretty darn excited so um this has been many months i, I can't i don't know the date when we announced The like intent to
0: acquire or whatever it's called. It felt like September, even earlier, August, maybe.
2: Yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's felt like an eternity. And so, you know, we haven't legally been allowed to act as one company until the deal officially closed. And so it is officially done as of December 1st. And so now we get to actually do real work. And so uh, I'm very excited. I'm extremely excited about the future. You know, I think this whole Sousa Rancher thing will end up going well.
0: And and so I mean, as far as anybody who would have been successful in rejecting the norms, is there any point in your journey, Darren, that people have actually accused you of being mainstream, or has it been? <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: no, I don't think I've been accused of being mainstream for sure. Coming from rancher, who's you know uh, pretty well recognizes like a you know leader in the Kubernetes. Uh, market, it's it's a little strange because I have a a history of even you know even though we're a a large Kubernetes player of being very critical of Kubernetes. So even in the stream that I work in, um, yes, I'm 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 not even yeah considered anywhere mainstream there.
0: Yeah, I, I mean even even back from the early days that we you know first started working together in the in the Docker scene and all the stuff that you were doing not only with Docker itself and building operating systems in new and different ways and then you know scaling that out with swarm Uh, it it, literally every step you have taken like i feel like the innovative boat rocking stuff and found new ways to rock the boat
2: yeah i mean i think i I think there's a little bit of me uh, the that naturally if there's a a large group of people that seem to uh, agree on something i'll probably lean towards disagreeing so i don't think that's a good thing but that seems to be kind of how how i am so so, yeah.
1: I mean, I, I suddenly uh, became aware of you and your work there and uh, sort of around the time that Vincent was talking about, like beginning of Docker, moving into when was, when was the CNCF created? 2016? Somewhere around there anyway. But I was taking a look, I was stalking you and taking a look through your LinkedIn. And I see all this other stuff before then, like Citrix, GoDaddy, Citigroup. I think probably a lot of people listening will know you most through the, through the sort of cloud native work. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about a broader story about your, about your career.
2: Yeah. You know, so, cause you know, it's a lot of people, you know, especially kind of like in the open source space and a lot of this container space, I think a lot of, a lot of people they're earlier in their career or, um, you know, just came out of college or something like that. But I worked in, uh, you know, kind of boring companies. I started my career in, in Citigroup for uh, quite a while doing Java enterprise stuff. Uh, very, very boring. And so I kind of moved from there uh, from Citigroup to GoDaddy, to Citrix, and then eventually Rancher. But my, my journey was kind of, it, it's always been, I guess, trying to find the freedom to do what I that, that I want to do. You know, it's like I, I kind of got my start at Citigroup just learning technology, and that was a very large company. It was very hard to accomplish anything there. So uh, I went over to uh, GoDaddy because uh, they kind of allowed me to build a cloud there. And did that for a couple years. And then uh, I met the people that we ended up creating Rancher. So when I was at GoDaddy, uh, we were a customer of cloud.com. And so I worked on the the kind of the cloud product there at GoDaddy and then met the people from cloud.com. Ended up leaving GoDaddy to work at Citrix because they bought the cloud.com company. Uh, And then four of us ended up leaving there and that's where we created Rancher.
1: Well, that's interesting. Cause I, my, um, I mean, I, I'm not working on anything technical anymore, but um, I also started off as a programmer and then moved over to ops. Sounds like you said I was building boring Java apps at Citigroup and then I wanted to build a cloud. Like where did where did that shift come from? <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah, so
2: that's that's kind of weird too. So actually, I mean, I guess my history would we'll go back even further is like, I, I started with Linux, like Linux is always near and dear to my heart. I got into computers with fooling around with Linux when I was like a teenager. Mm-hmm. And so I was more inclined, I thought I would go more like the sysadmin route. And I got a job at Citigroup, managing a, a set of servers for a development team um, deploying their software. And like, so my job was just basically, they would, I would basically build things and I created the build, you know, it's like today, this would be like your CI CD pipeline, but that wasn't mm-hmm. really a thing back then. Like continuous integration was like a new revolutionary concept. Um, back I'm, then I'm that hearing like actually... some
0: concurrent themes here. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> so, so, uh, but anyway, so I was, my job was to run the servers, but the the programs would always break. And then I, I hated bugging the developers saying like, Hey, the programs aren't working. So I started digging into the code to understand why it wasn't like, maybe I could fix it or it was my fault or something like that. And so I learned how to program when I was at Citigroup and then I, and then I started programming. And then, so I, then I learned, you know, so I, like, I learned that kind of on the job and I learned how to program. And so when I left Citigroup and I went to GoDaddy, I was so excited because there was a job offering that was, they were trying to build a cloud and they wanted people who had Java skills, which was like the weirdest job like it's like wait you what want java skills and this? you're building a cloud and so i'm like that caught my interest i my, my when i sent him and like you're supposed this to sounds gross i love it yeah well, it was you know you're supposed to be like i've never been very professional or whatever and then i sent i sent a uh, my job application i just said it, it brought a tear to my eye to see java and zen in the same sentence for a requirement so <laughs> i'd like to interview for this of so yeah, so like I love Linux and I've I've always got a kick out of like orchestrating it. So it's like even when I was at Citigroup, I built this system on Zen. This was like Zen 3.0, you know, all the Red Hat the like when Red Hat used to support Zen and it was all built in and you had to have a custom patched version of glibc and all this crazy stuff. Um I built an automation system on on that where we would be able to deploy our software and spin up these VMs and, and uh, you know, from, like, ephemeral disks and stuff like this. And this was just, like, all crap I threw together. And then, like, it was around the same time, you know, EC2 became a thing. And, like, and when I saw EC2, I'm just like, oh, this is amazing. Like, this is, like, the best thing ever. This is what I want to do. And then I got into eucalyptus. And, and because of, like, fooling around in that space is kind of what ended me into working with, like, cloud.com, they ended up being a a competitor to eucalyptus
1: yeah so is it fair to say that from the operations point of view uh because you were trying to basically figure out why these things were breaking um you learned to debug before you learned to code
2: yeah yeah i mean and and that's 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 kind of what it like because my 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 first thing of like learning how to code was you know back in the linux days you used to have to like down download like you know compile make, make make install everything and something wouldn't compile, and I wouldn't know why. So, I, so I'm like, well, this isn't working, and it's you know the compiler spitting out all this garbage. I don't understand. So I saw I taught myself to program so I could figure out how to run those programs. Like that was my mm-hmm. en- entire like the only reason why it was was really was that which.
0: I can relate to that completely. <laughs> yeah,
2: and, and this is the funny thing, too. This is how stupid I was. Was that like, it was like uh, I, I'm like, okay, well, I should learn how to program so I could, you know, troubleshoot what's what's going on and why I can't get this program to run. So I looked and and there was C and C And I'm like, well, plus plus, that sounds like it's better. I'll learn C plus <laughs> plus. Like, so I learned C plus plus, which was completely useless at the time because everything was still in C, you know. But it was like. That, that's got to be the better version, right?
1: <laughs> oh, that's amazing. When, when I was a kid, I picked up C++, and I can't even remember why. I wanted to program, and I went to the library, and they used to have this microfiche thing, right, because they didn't have everything in the library, so you could look on it. And I was, like, programming. And I, for some reason, I chose C++. And back in the day, you used to be able to pay 50 pence to order a book, and then they'd mm-hmm. put a little slip of paper through your door when it arrived. And when I went to pick it up, it was C++ for dummies that I'd got. And I remember the librarian saying to me, I must be a real dummy because I don't even know what C++ is. Yeah,
2: it's it's so funny because I learned, you know, so I learned C++. That was the first real language I learned. But like my first exposure to programming at all was actually when I was like 12, I learned BASIC. Mm. And I learned it and I just thought it was the stupidest thing. And actually because of that, because I'm like, this is so tedious and annoying and it's so dumb. I, because of that, I specifically avoided programming. I didn't want anything to do with programming. I just thought it was a terrible idea. So I avoided that. I, I studied mechanical engineering in college for many years before I decided that I have no skills in that area. The, but C++ was actually the language that kind of introduced me to the idea that programming's not terrible. But then ironically, it's probably one of my most disliked languages is C++ at this point.
1: What? You don't like templates? <laughs>
2: yeah yeah no, I, mean, I, could, I could go generics, generics we're still arguing that for going. Yeah. well, you have to first clarify what type of C++ is this modern C++ or real modern C++ or oh, <laughs> C with with oh. classes
0: <laughs> No, and, and it's interesting though that the same kind of like um, mark, you you have the same kind of journey of of going over into the kind of the CI testing bit and like I like making the things work and working your way back from, from that side, that that sounded like a very similar journey there.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah. I got sick of sending, my, my thing was I'm sick of missing deadlines because we couldn't do all the testing. So then I moved from being a developer into what we would now call DevOps just because it was scratched and itch basically.
2: Yeah. I mean, I've always sat in kind of a weird, weird position that like, it's like, I like, I genuinely like programming at this point, but I very much like, you know, systems and Linux and, uh orchestration and those things so i always had a hard time like trying to figure out like hey what's like a job role or something i should you know like if i looked at job um postings or whatever it's like what do i actually want to do because i kind of sit in between a lot of different things
0: so i mean you alluded to this earlier of saying that like you you generally if a lot of people are for something then you're going to find a you know you'll have your reason why you're against it you know whether that's kubernetes or system d or whatever <laughs> um yeah and, and I do think that there's a fair amount of, like, people that look forward to seeing your hot takes on Twitter, you know, like, what thing are you going to drag through the dirt, whether it's Istio or otherwise. Part of this is, like, in finding which thing you are going to grab a hold of and, you know, make it work and and having a hot take on, like, which things are out there that are popular that you're going to either, you know, go against the stream on. You it, you can't do that for everything. So, what is it in your your recipe book that says like, there's a lot of norms out there. There's a lot of things that get popular. Which ones do you see or that bubble up to the top of like, this is actually one that I'm going to make a difference on, whether it's building your own operating system or you know stripping Kubernetes down to the bone?
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's like really like that conscious of, of a thing where I intentionally am looking for, you know, because it's like, I think I'm kind of no different than most other engineers where some problem sparks your interest and then you just want to solve it. And so you know, so it's kind of like my reputation or whatever on Twitter is I just complain and I say all these terrible things, which is I, I realize it's just not good in many ways but but um but it's like uh, the, what happens is the the stuff I'm saying on Twitter is usually because I'm working on something and I'm frustrated, and so it's not the best outlet, but that's that's what I end up doing, <laughs> and so it's usually like I just I want to accomplish something. And then I don't know, I find some some texture tech- so it's like the nice thing in the position that I'm in, you know, with with Rancher is like, you know, historically with Rancher now with SUSE, but but is I've always been in a position where I could be kind of sit in front of a user and and listen to a user and you know, they're like, I want to accomplish X, Y, and Z. And then, then it's like, oh, I can do that. I can fix it, you know, it's like and then I then I get excited and I and I wanna I wanna solve it and then you know, figure out some solution. And you know, so I get I get frustrated when it's like I, I want to do something and I feel like there's an arbitrary uh, arbitrary roadblock in my way. It's you know it's more complex than it needs to be, or you know I, I've got a the official way to do this is to go through some process or community, and it's like I just want to solve something, and and yeah, that's really all it is.
0: And so when you say you you know users, are are you following just Particularly your users, I guess at this point you have a vested interest in you know, your customers as users, but which ones bubble up to the top? Because I mean, as, as much as you have probably folks, whether it's on Twitter, or GitHub issues or otherwise saying like, here's my use case, I just want to do this. Yeah. You probably have, especially even with some of the hot takes and otherwise, you probably have just as many people saying like, you can't do this or you're like, you know, like that's not how it's done stop trying. <laughs> I mean, so, so which one of those like bubble, like bubbles up Are you? Just like, uh, you know, how, how do you see through that noise?
2: Well, yeah, well, I mean, cause it's like, it's usually like, I mean, cause there's definitely, there's a lot of people who like, will tell you like, Oh, it can't be done or this is not a good idea or whatever. But I, I think the majority of it for me is just being kind of dumb and naive of like, well, it seems like it should be easy. Like, why not? And then people say, no, it's not. And it's like, well, i don't believe you so so you know it's i i kind of have to learn for myself uh you know it's like i have to kind of fail for myself to to really believe a lot of things um and and i've definitely seen that you know it's like i was not you know it's like i, I wasn't particularly positive, let's say, about a lot of aspects of Kubernetes and in the process of effectively kind of fighting against it or trying different things or or trying to prove that I'm, I'm right or they're wrong or whatever, you know, basically came to a lot of conclusions that no, in fact, <laughs> that was the best way to do it. And they really know what they're talking about.
1: I wanted to ask more about Product direction of Rancher, it always seemed to me that, you know, like you said, Rancher was really focused on providing Kubernetes, but not being all about Kubernetes. It was really mm-hmm. about something a little bit higher. It's almost as if you guys had seen a problem. It's as if you'd experienced a problem and you wanted to solve it for everyone else. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah. from the, from the very beginning of Rancher, it was like, we always had this overarching goal of kind of like computing everywhere is the, you know, the, the co-founders, there's four co-founders of Rancher. The other three co-founded or were, came from cloud.com. And so they worked in the uh, infrastructure as a service space. So they did, they were the creators of CloudStack. And then that that morphed into OpenStack and working in that community and stuff. And so we had this perspective, uh, very cloud focused, understanding that. And hybrid was supposed to be this thing, hybrid cloud, being able to burst to the cloud, stuff like that. And, And it really didn't work out very well in the, you know, in that point in history or whatever. So when we started Rancher, we really wanted to enable, it's kind of like, how can we build the overlay cloud or something? It's like, we just saw that there's a possibility to bridge these things together and, so that was kind of like our overarching goal. That's always been the, the the big goal of the company, and so we saw containers as an enabling thing. I uh, and then eventually, you know, it's like containers was the enabling technology, and then there was needed to be an orchestrator for it, and there was kind of some orchestrator wars, and then eventually Kubernetes won out, and and so then we supported Kubernetes, but it's always for us has always been just kind of a means to the, to the end, of just accomplishing, you know, how can we, let allow people to run kind of compute anywhere
1: i mean you mentioned earlier that the hybrid thing didn't work out at the time but it seems to me like there's a lot of excitement there right now and this this idea of being able to orchestrate applications across kind of anywhere seems to be finally getting some traction why do you think that is
2: yeah well i mean because so the thing was like the the ability to to do hybrid before when we were talking about virtual machines was was just too hard because the technology wasn't there. Cause when we didn't really have anything that was close to a portable asset, you know, we just, we didn't even have a common disc image, you know, it's like there's VMDK versus AMI versus QCAL, you know? So it's like, there's just no portability whatsoever. So when Docker came out, I mean, it was immediately obvious to me of like, Hey, this is going to enable a lot of stuff. It's like, I think mean, I've made this statement before. It's like one of the, the, the most important thing that's probably is going to come out of this whole container spec. It, or container space is really the OCI image, is like the fact that we've created this portable image of this thing that has some assets, and it's a tarball. You know, it's like we created an entire industry around a tarball. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like <laughs> this crap never dies. Um, you know, uh, but I, uh, but yeah. So the it's so containers enabled that of like, I had some unit, like I just, I didn't have a unit I could move between anywhere. So like now I actually have a unit, it's the container. And you know, how do I do that? Well, that's Kubernetes. And and so that's really what has kind of enabled it. So like, that's to me like the transformation of why this is made, made possible. And so like now hybrid cloud is definitely a thing. And I think what's even more exciting, which is like I've been focusing a lot over the last uh, year or so is the edge space. And that's where I think mm-hmm. it's going to really blow, blow up because as I said, like when we started the company, we were, we were looking at this idea of computing everywhere and, and we were so kind of myopic at this time of like, Oh, we just want to bridge clouds and data center never even considered like the entire edge world. And the edge world is probably a larger space. I don't really know that um, actually, but like I would guess it's a larger space mm-hmm. than, the, than the data center space or, or the cloud space because there's so many compute devices
0: Mm-hmm. And, and and there's like long term ways that they've different people have tried to do it and they've arrived in silos, but now they're converging with this kind of Kubernetes cloud native way. Yeah.
2: And like, so the, the you know, like K3S and those projects, like, you know, the stuff we've done that, I mean, it was all a complete accident. It's really opened my eyes to it. It's like, there's a huge opportunity there. Like just the fact that we can get this, this incredibly complex technology to work in these environments just opens up. huge amount of possibilities and so i'm super excited about that of like there's just there's a massive opportunity in my mind of just being able to bridge all of this because it's not it's not about like i'm going to run some application that like dynamically runs you know on the cloud and then on the data center and then on the edge it's about having like a common approach to how you run software, no matter where it is, so it doesn't really matter if it's on my laptop or if it or if it's in the data center or if it's on the edge. I can use the same approach, the same techniques, because that's that's what we've been seeing is driving Kubernetes on the edge. Is that like re- people really just want? It's like the, the software they want to run is more complex, so they need like the same technologies that you would see in a data center to run on the edge, and they need the pipeline and all that stuff.
0: So, so given that you started with. Uh... <laughs> cloud using java and the promise of java are you circling back to could you say that you're circling back to say one approach run anywhere <laughs> maybe i i don't know i like the idea of wasm like i think uh,
2: you know or you know web asm or however you're supposed to say it but like so maybe we'll just all circle right back to that and and uh but no like i don't think it's i see this is the thing is is like i think the idea of like the Java write once deploy anywhere, even that had its its shortcomings. And it's not about like enabling this idealistically perfect solution that just runs everywhere. It's like, I just need like the enough commonality. You know, I just need the main things taken care of. So it's like when we're talking about running Kubernetes on the edge, it's like it's not exactly the same as a data center. There's a lot of different considerations. There's a lot of things unique to it but it's close enough that I get a lot of benefits. And so, you know, it's it's not this perfect technology or, or, or anything or even approach, but it's it's good enough. Um, and, and and that's, you know, usually what wins out is the, is the thing that's good enough that we can, you know, build an ecosystem around.
1: Can we touch on K3S a little bit more? Because obviously, or maybe not obviously, maybe we need to check that. Like the way I've read about it is like tiny distribution, good for using at the edge. Yeah. What's interesting to me, I mean, this is obviously a vital piece of the puzzle and it's and it's been superbly i checked before and it's uh, on, on github and like the success has been run away with k3s but when i look at edge i'm thinking about all the other things around it right like networking becomes interesting uh-huh. like how do you do multi-tenancy if you're on a on like not even a rack full of machines like a couple of machines i'm a, i'm assuming that you've been thinking about this more than i have can you say anything about that sort of peripheral tooling and what we think what you think we might see which technology areas might become important as we start moving these workloads to the edge?
2: Well, I mean, there's a couple of things about that. Is that like, I think the downfall of people like doing things on the edge or like there's been a lot of like super technical work around IoT and edge and how to get all this stuff. And, you know, and people have been talking about this for a while and and it's had like marginal success. I, I think the it's kind of like the the beauty of of like K3S and running Kubernetes on the edge is it's almost like the stupidity of it. It's like, there's nothing super fancy. It's like, it just solves a very basic problem of how do I deploy and run something? It doesn't tackle any of those issues of like networking or low latency and all that stuff. It tackles a very basic problem of just how do I manage it? Like, how do I run programs? And so, so a lot of those issues still do exist of, you know, uh things that like MQTT or something like that would solve or or different networking. And so those spaces I actually don't have a lot of insight in how those other problems are going to be solved um, because there's very smart people working on those things. But but the problem is is like even though there is very smart people working on those things there was clearly a barrier to just how do we deploy and run the software? And so that's that's kind of like you know what's what's taken off. So it's like the the places that I'm focused on or looking at is is really just I mean this is like it's just the, the really stupid basic things of like, how do I deploy and run the software? And then how do I manage it at scale? And so that's, you know, we, we, we built K3S. And then the next piece of technology that, that, that you know, I've, I've worked on this area is Fleet, which is, it's currently marketed as like GitOps at scale. But it, the GitOps portion is kind of like um, not super important in my mind because it's, it's more about, about an, uh, a highly scalable multi-cluster management uh, engine.
0: Picking on you a little bit, but when you have a project that like K3S, it's gotten so big and, and it seems like I, I run into conversations about it all the time, whether it's like we're, we're using K3S as like our management kind of management node control plane to launch, whether it's cluster API or other things like this, or talking to folks in like the Tekton K-native world and it's like k3s is so small that when you just need like minimal time to launch a instance get a a kubernetes thing up and then run some functions on it it's like k3s is the common choice now for so 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 many use cases Uh, and they're not always on the edge but they are kind of that minimal like off to the races as quick as possible so what you know now you've got something at scale so when 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 do you have that same kind of like expecting to reject now other people's use cases being like no that that's not how it's done you you know sometimes you're on the outside of maybe system D talking to it and now people are so popular that or your project is so popular that people are going to be using and abusing it in all the different ways how do you feel about that kind of surface area. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I
2: love it. So the, the thing about K3S is like we marketed it towards the edge and there's a clear business opportunity there. Um, and that's worked out well, but that is not the actual reason for its popularity, I think. It's like the popularity of it is just how easy it is to run because it's, it's seen more. I, my, my guess is going to be it's run more often laptops, CICD test, even in cloud, you know, simple setups or whatever. It's kind of like the beauty of what, like what we created with K3S was like, we just turned Kubernetes into a widget. It's just like, you just turn it on and it works. And I don't have to think about it. And then I can just start consuming Kubernetes. I, I love that. Cause it's like I love to see people using it in a bunch of different ways because there's something about it of like, when you make, when you make this technology so easy to consume, it sparks people's like creativity of building something around it or on top of it. And so, you know, you see a a lot of
0: interesting things. Like I was even just looking at the crazy, crazy new one this past week of was it meek meek G's that's what I I was with system D. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's crazy. It's almost like a D bus API. For yeah, your like
2: I, I saw that and like I, I commented, I'm like, I'm torn because it's system D, which I have some opinions about. But man, this is cool. <laughs> like, this is such a cool use case. And I really like what you're doing there. So, yeah, like I, I love that. Or, you know, there's there was another project um k3 ai i mean i guess that's so much self-serving because that, that came from susa but this was this was you know before um, you know we had become one company or whatever but they had they took um tensorflow i'm not i'm not i don't know a lot about ai to be honest ai ml space so they took tensorflow and a bunch of things and they just package it in some really nice little units so someone can spin up and get like kubeflow and those things running and it's like that's cool, you know, it's like if somehow this technology allows uh, people to leverage, you know, AI and data scientists can use it, like that's cool. So I love it. Cause like, I think there's a whole use case of like treating Kubernetes as just more of like an application server. I mean, I think it's a very advanced thing to create operators and whatnot, but as it makes sense of like, if you're a vendor and you're creating some complicated application and you want to deploy it on premises, how do you have the customer deploy that? Well, it's like, well, you can bundle it with Kubernetes and run, you know, sort of just write all your stuff as Kubernetes native and maybe write some operators and whatnot, and then, you know, bundle that all together as one unit. Well, K3S makes that really easy. It's really easy to kind of package that all up into like, I've been toying around with this idea of like, you know, it's like, it's like application clusters or whatever. It's like single purpose clusters that are just to run one application. Um, you know, so it's, it's more of like an appliance cluster. Uh, and, you know, and K3S enables that because, you know, you don't have to worry about all these things.
0: I think it it, it goes to, you know, even with the overarching story that it it's one of those that when K3S was launched, I heard a lot of people being very dismissive about like, that's just a toy. That was like a weekend hack. It won't be sustainable. Nobody in production is actually going to want to use that. And... That's just not been the case. And so it was one of those like you know, rejecting the norm kind of times of like, you can't do that. Let's, That's not how it's done.
2: <laughs> I love it. And I like that, you know, it's like I, you know, I think there's a lot of value to, let's say, like the Kubernetes community, like the community process and that approach of how to, de- you know, develop something, you go through the steps and everything. There's a lot of value to, of that. You know, it's like Kubernetes, the community produces an amazing, um, you know, piece of work there. Being able to just quickly iterate and throw out an idea and maybe it's a bad idea and just letting people try it out and see if it sticks, you know, I I like that. That's the way I I kind of like to work is being able to just quickly iterate on something and if it's good it will stick and then then we'll figure out how to manage it you know it's like at this point k3s i'm honestly i'm not contributing really to k3s anymore you know there's a whole there's a team at rancher that does that and then we're trying to grow that community because it's now a cncf project and so we're you know trying to put together a proper community you know process and guidelines moving it over to you know so like we're maturing that project now so that's like gone beyond me i'm, I'm not responsible
1: enough to do that <laughs> That's fair. Mark Unfortunately, we are nearing the end of our officially allotted time and we could obviously talk about this for hours and hours and more. So I've come up with an idea for how we can how we can close this down by um, munging two ideas together and hoping that it sticks. So number one is it's the end of 2020 or it's getting towards the end of 2020 and people tend to do next year predictions when that happens. And also Twitter has this thing I enjoy which is unpopular opinions. So I was wondering if we could get Darren Shepard's unpopular predictions for 2021.
2: Oh goodness gracious. That's a lot of pressure. I don't I haven't given a lot of thought to this of like where, where things go. Well, amazing success from SUSE and Rancher.
0: <laughs> that's okay. But that's not unpopular. Yeah, that's, that's popular. I think you're wishing that to be popular, so hold on. Yeah,
2: no, my 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 current thing is the the downfall of service mesh service mesh. I've been touting that one recently that I I think service mesh, the, the concept or industry, you know, is going to self implode in a little bit here. Um, so I think that would probably be my, my biggest unpopular opinion.
1: I've realized that what this means is that we have to schedule you in yeah, yeah. Next year, the yeah. No, back You know, honestly, like, work.
2: yeah, I mean, like, there's, like, a joke or whatever, because it's, like, if I say something's not, like, oh, that will never work, or that's stupid or whatever, people are, like, okay, I should bet on that, you know, because it's, like, I'm, like, ah, oh, Kubernetes will never take <laughs> off. It's too complicated, <laughs> and it's, like, here we are. It's, like, yeah, right. yeah. You know, it's, like, because I always tell me, I'm, like, don't listen to me. I'm, like, I'm wrong so often, and even, like, there's so many things I complain about and people don't even realize it's like just because I'm complaining about a technology doesn't mean that actually mean don't use it. It's like a lot of times that's really what you should be using. It. And I'm complaining about it because I am using it. And and you know, what what other things? I mean, I think there's a huge opportunity for um AI ops. I would initially like my first gut reaction for AI ops would be like, oh, that sounds like nonsense. Um, you know, like we're gonna automate and do all this fancy. Like people always want like magical auto scaling. That's like a, a big request always. It's like, oh, I just wanted to auto, and it's just like, ah, eh. it, it's no, it's not actually what you think you want. Um, but no, I think there's actually a huge opportunity for AI ops in changing the way that we do um, monitoring and alerting process Like basically. Processing metrics and log data and stuff like that, of detecting anomalies and whatnot. I really think there's there's going to be uh, some interesting things that come out of that space over the next year.
1: So perhaps the unpopular opinion is the is the death of service meshes, uh, and the, the the neutral opinion is the uh, is is the rise of AI ops or ML Yeah, there, I'm trying
2: to think. Is there any other unpopular opinion? Um, I can, I can just say some arbitrarily, arbitrarily mean things about red hat. I'm sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. It was like a great Moving of on. <laughs> that's when the, the stage hook comes yeah. off. Yeah. <laughs> Super. Well, Darren, good to have you on the podcast and look forward to seeing the big things from your continued efforts at the
1: Rancher Labs. Me too. This was fun. Yeah. This was really fun, Darren. Thank you.
0: All right. Well, that's a wrap.
2: Thank yeah. you. All right. That was fun.